0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central.
1: Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, September the 6th, 2022. It is currently 9.05 AM Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios, located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now I don't know how things work for you. And it would obviously be foolish for me to try to claim that I even have any idea how things work for you, but I obviously know how things work for me. For me, when I find myself laying in bed late at night, early in the morning, there is one thing that happens every single time, every single time without fail because it's just the way I operate it's just the way I am and you have your own specific things that make you unique because as individuals we are all unique but for me when I lay down at night my brain does not stop thinking it does not turn itself off it just runs like at a million miles per second it's just going and going and going a million miles per hour it just will not stop it will not slow down and there are things about that that I love because sometimes I'll find myself one, two in the morning, laying there in bed, and I'll be thinking about some, you know, difficulty of a of, from a with a biblical passage or a theological question, and I'll just be thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And sometimes, all of a sudden, after about an hour, I'm like, no, oh, oh, I think I've got it. I think okay, now I think I understand. Now I think I know what I, what you know I, I was doing wrong. I'll grab a notebook. I'll grab something, start writing, you know, something down. Sometimes I'll get out of bed and I'm like, okay, oh, okay. If we do this, if we look at this verse, if we connect this, if we consider the meaning of the Greek word, I'm like, I figured it out, right? Sometimes it, it can be, some, it'll be some issue going on something wrong with maybe uh, some kind of equipment in the house, something. And all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, I know what's wrong. I figured it out. I figured it out. And all of a sudden I'll jump up and like, it's just crazy. But my mind will sit there and just, it will try to fix things, think about things, unravel things. It just sits there. And again, there, there are things that's good about that, especially when it's two or three in the morning and I'm just sitting there trying to figure out something about a biblical passage or something about theology. That's wonderful. That's great. There are times where my mind is thinking about things Well, I'm not going to talk about that live on the air. Let's just say I will realize, man, my thinking is horribly wrong. Why am I thinking about that? That's not right. That's and and then I, I mean, I'm faced at two or three in the morning with the reality that yes, I'm still a sinner. I know you can sit there in self righteous condemnation because you never have wrong thoughts at two or three in the morning, but I am a human being and very, very well, very much aware of my own sinfulness. So sometimes. It's just painfully going, man, Lord, please change my thinking. Help me out here, okay? Sometimes uh, it's just I'm thinking about the past. Sometimes I'm thinking about the future. But my mind is always just moving and just going. So one of the things I try to do, and most of you know this who are longtime listeners of this podcast, is I, well, I mean, it's, it's just a fact. I cannot go to bed in silence, be, be, and I know you're like, no, 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 you need to try to go to sleep with silence. I can't because here's the thing. Either the noise in my brain is going to get louder or I listen to something which silence some of the noise in my brain so that I can focus only on that sound. Like it's either a million sounds in my brain, right, which is almost maddening at times or I silence a lot of those voices in my brain by listening to something. So I have basically my entire life I go to bed listening to something now, some people think it's music but I, I can't really do music much when I go to bed because music I, I, I analyze music I take it apart. I'm such a, a lover of music that that I'll just that that can be that can be maddening. I am able sometimes to go to sleep listening to say hymns. Um, But lots of music, it's just I have to analyze it and take it apart and consider the lyrics. So that doesn't really work. So I find myself going to bed a lot of times listening, obviously, to podcasts or maybe to old radio dramas or something like that where I can kind of focus in on that one particular thing. So I listen to a lot of podcasts at night. A lot. Sometimes it's sermons. The only problem with sermons is once again, I'll be like, wait a minute. What did they say about that verse? And the next thing you know, I'm wanting to get out of bed and, and grab, you know, Bibles and commentaries and start working on it. So sometimes that doesn't work well as either. I know, it's complicated. Sometimes it's, I mean, there's times it's overwhelming to me, but this is kind of just the, the, the it's just my life. It's just the way it is. Some people don't understand it, but it's just the way it is. And it's probably, and it's another reason why I utterly, despise sleep because it's just such so much trouble. And not only that, when I'm laying there, one of the thoughts that I constantly have is you you don't know how much longer you're going to be alive. So why are you wasting your time laying here in this bed? You could be dead tomorrow. You could be dead the next day. Do you want your last 24, or 48 hours on earth to be spent sleeping? So yeah, it, it's just maddening. But this morning, laying... In darkness, one word kept just bouncing around in my brain over and over and over and over again. And that word was tragedy. Tragedy. Now, tragedy is defined according to at least one dictionary. This is the Oxford Language Dictionary. Tragedy. An event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress, such as a serious accident, crime, or natural catastrophe. A tragedy is an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress, such as a serious accident, crime, or natural catastrophe. Now, why was I sitting there thinking about tragedy at, what, 3, 4 in the morning, laying there in darkness? Why? Well, because I I saw a podcast episode drop called Start Here from ABC News. And, of course, I listened to it. And, well, the episode today, Start Here, you should subscribe to the Start Here podcast by ABC News. Uh, it, that's how you start your morning each day with uh, some news. Well, this morning, the episode dealt with two... Very tragic things. One was the ongoing war in Ukraine. Okay, very tragic and all the destruction and the suffering and everything going on with the nuclear plant. And just just a lot of, I mean, that, that right there bothers me and disturbs me all the time. I know that for many, oh, there's a war going on in Ukraine and then we move on. But, and that is kind of relevant to what I want to talk about. But they started the episode with a different tragedy, with a different Kind of suffering, but here's kind of where my mind went. Yes, you have the tragedy itself. You have the tragic event itself. We're all very aware of the tragic event, right? You name it, and and when and when I think of tragedy here, I want to make sure I understand. I, I want to go beyond just those big public tragedies. I'm talking about those private private tragedies in your life or my life. It can be something tragic, like you suffered. Abuse as a child, maybe you were sexually molested, maybe you were raped, maybe it was physical abuse, maybe it was something like that, maybe it was tragedy that you lost a sibling or or a, a parent in death. When you were young, it could be when you were older. Maybe it's the the, the destruction of a of a marriage that fell apart. Maybe it was a, a relationship that you destroyed. Maybe it's a, a a loved one suffering with addiction. Whatever the case may be, we all know this is one thing that is true. Yes, you have those national tragedies. Those global tragedies, we all know about those events and sometimes they're marked on a calendar and sometimes there's anniversaries of those events where everyone speaks about it. There's a memorial built. We know about that. But I'm talking about the tragedy that uh, that is a part of every single person's life. Everyone has stories of tragedy in some way, shape, or form. So, But I don't want to just focus on the, the, my thinking this morning wasn't on the tragic event itself. It wasn't on looking back at my life, remembering that tragic event when this occurred or this occurred or this occurred. I mean, I, c- I can remember those, but it was more my thinking was this. You have the tragedy. Then what? What is the aftermath of tragedy? What happens after the tragedy So let me ask you this from a biblical and theological perspective because this is the theology central podcast do you have a theology of what comes after tragedy do you have a philological way of thinking about what follows tragedy now I think sometimes Christians I can't say this I I I don't want to say this in a I can't be dogmatic about it but I think in in many cases Christians are not very good at helping people after tragedy we we seem to think hey here's a bible verse here's this here's and 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 it's almost like in some ways we just have to immediately move over it but we know and move move past it but in some ways Tragedy always sticks with us in some way, shape or form. It's not so easy just saying, moving on. It's like, it's not like, here's, you know, like right here next to me is a chair. Here's a chair. This is the tragedy. I'm like, okay, well, the tragedy happens. I'm moving on. And I get up and walk down the stairs over here in this room and just walk down the stairs and just leave the tragedy sitting up here and it always stays here and this room is just abandoned i i put you know a board over the door and the tragedy always remains up here and it will never follow me it doesn't work i wish it did but it always is with you in some way shape or form so what is it how do we handle the aftermath of tragedy now, obviously, you know, and you're probably thinking, well, what what was that other story on the Start Here podcast? You mentioned the war in Ukraine. What was the other story? Well, we're going to work through about 12 minutes of audio here. And we're just going to hear, and as we listen to this report, I want you to listen to, to the words that kind of describe how what the aftermath of tragedy looks like for some of these from some of the people that are mentioned here and some of the people who talk, you can look at anyone's life. If you take five people, they all suffer similar tragedies and they talk about the aftermath of tragedy. You're going to realize that not everyone's aftermath looks the same. There may be similarities, but it's different because everyone, everyone is scarred and responds to that scarring in a different way. So is there a theological way? Is there a biblical way? Maybe we'll talk about that, but right now, let's listen to this audio. We're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna be analyzing it, breaking, breaking in over and over and over. But this is from the Start Here podcast that I listened to in the darkness of the early morning hours, which made me start thinking about tragedy, and that's what I've been thinking about for the past few hours. Not so much the tragic event itself, but the aftermath. And this story, well, today, a lot of people are thinking about the aftermath of tragedy. Here we go.
0: The last day of school in Uvalde, Texas, was supposed to be on a Thursday, May 26th, earlier this year. Two days before that, a man scaled a fence at Robb Elementary School carrying an AR 15 and walked through an unlocked door.
2: It all happened too fast. Training, no training, all kinds of training, nothing sets you ready, gets you ready for this.
0: In the minutes that ticked by, he shot dozens of children. Nineteen third and fourth graders were killed. So were two teachers. And in the days, weeks, even months afterwards, these families had to deal with something that has not always been as present in other school shootings. He is in a room full of victims. Were children in that classroom that were at risk, and it was, in fact, still an active shooter situation. A police force that could not or would not, depending on who you listen to, be clear about what had happened and why the shooter was allowed to remain in a classroom for over an hour before being brought down. Well, today, for the first time since the survivors were hustled out of those doors, public schools are about to be open again in Uvalde, Texas.
1: Now, let's stop right here. We all know we all know the story of the Uvalde shooting. Man climbs a fence, AR-15, goes into a school through an unlocked door. 21 people are ultimately killed. 19 children, two teachers. That's tragedy. That's tragic. Now, in this particular tragedy, they mention that it's somewhat different than the others. But I don't know if it's that different, other than the maybe the circumstances. You had the police that was either unwilling, unable, incompetent, whatever. You do have that, but I, I think this is a very important place to start. After every tragedy, after every tragedy, okay, it doesn't matter what happens in the tragedy. After every tragedy, you are uh, one of the key af- the parts of the aftermath of tragedy is you are left. With for the rest of your life, with questions, you always are left with questions, and the questioning, the questioning, and the questions. Not only are there are they maddening. In many cases, you are left not only with the questions, you're left with no answers. There's always would, could, should, maybe. If I would, if this, maybe that, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that. What about this? What about that? And it can drive you literally crazy. It's so difficult to just, I think if you're going to develop a theology of the aftermath of tragedy, you have to develop a theology that clearly states that there are so many things in life, so many aspects of life. Where you are left without answers. Now, I know Christians like to say, you know, Jesus is the answer. Like that fixes that. Jesus is the answer. Well, okay, that doesn't fix someone who's trying to pick the pieces up of their life after tragedy. It's not that simple. Or 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 you know, pray about it and God will give you the answers. Look at the at, no, no, this is I think we have to embrace this reality. Tragedy leaves you with questions that in most cases will never truly be answered. Why? How come? What if I would have done this? Oh, I should have done this. Why didn't I do that? What about this? Oh, I, why did this happen to me? If this didn't happen to me, what would my life look like? If this would have happened, why? How come? I mean, it's just, they just, there's so many, but you don't always get answered. And to help develop, now I'm not, I don't have time to go through these passages of scripture, but sometimes I may make may, may, make a reference of scripture here. But I'm just going to say that for me, one of the most disturbing aspects of this scripture that I'm, I'm going to mention, one of the most disturbing things is there isn't any answers truly given. But on the other hand, one of the most comforting things about this a part of scripture is that, well, there isn't any answers given. It's disturbing and it is comforting. You're like, how does that make any sense? It doesn't, but it's just the way it is. Let me explain. In your Bible and in my Bible, in the Old Testament, we read about a man named Job who was perfect and upright. And tragedy after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy just hits him over and over and over and over and over again it is death it is financial ruin it is it is painful physical situations i mean it is his own wife saying curse god and die i mean everything about it is just it's just tragedy tragedy it is tragic and we know that from Job's perspective, like if you, sometimes we sit back looking at it and we try to analyze it, but you have to place yourself in the, in the context of the story. If you're Job, guess what? He never receives in this book, in the story, in, in the historical narrative. Job never receives one answer. He asks lots of questions, and he's hit with more questions. All you get in Job is questions. Job, this, this is the way Job really works if we wanted to break down the book of Job. A man suffers unspeakable tragedies and is only given questions to comfort him. Or you could say this, Job is a story of a man who suffers unspeakable tragedies, who is only given accusation and questions to comfort him in the tragedy. And, and I know some of like, no, 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 no. God was there. God was God was there asking him questions. his friends were there accusing, and in many cases, they did nothing but ask questions. If you if you really think about it, if you if you went from Job 1 to the end of Job, write down how many questions are put forth to Job. How many questions are somehow given to Job and either from his friends or from God? How many questions do you have? Now you think about this. Here's a man suffering all of these tragic situations and it's one question after another question after another question. Maybe there's not as many questions as I think. I know when God finally speaks to him, it's just one question, one question after another. I would have to go through all of the speeches with his friends. His, maybe, I think at times his friends do ask Job questions, but in many cases it's just accusations. So I guess if you wrote down how many accusations are made against Job and how many questions, you have a, you have a book of someone who suffers unspeakable tragedy and all he gets from, from everyone is accusation questions. Even, even God just gives him questions. That's how tragedy works. Tragedy, and you're just left with questions, not answers. So in some ways, it's disturbing that God doesn't give Job any answers. But on the other hand, it's extremely comforting because at least tells me that's how life works. That's how life works. Now, for some people, not having those answers it's the it, it's where they begin to unravel, where they begin to try to find the answers. They try to seek the answers. They try to find some way to create an answer so that they have some sense of satisfaction, some sense of help. And I think sometimes that is very detrimental to one's mental health. I think it's very detrimental to many things. But here in Uvalde... They're left with, why why didn't the police do something? Why did this happen? What could have been done? Why, 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 why? But in every tragedy, there's whys and how comes, and why did this happen to me? And why, if I would have, if I, instead of going here, if I would have went there, that wouldn't have happened to me. If if, if I would have made, if I would have, you know, whatever the case may be, there's always all the what ifs and how comes and should have, would have, could have, maybe. The aftermath of tragedy is always questions, but the reality is, may never be an answer. So theology tells me, don't, don't expect, I think biblically, theologically, don't expect an answer. Now, the question is, that, that, that's just a fact. You're not going to get the answers. Expect the questions, don't expect the answers, I should say. But here's the thing biblically or theologically, how I think the Bible would come into play here and Christianity and theology would come into play here of how we are to handle the lack of answers. I think there's a biblical way to handle the lack of answers and there's an unbiblical way. That is something to consider. But let's go back and let's continue to listen to what these parents and everyone
0: in Uvalde is facing, well, Today. And this is where ABC News has been covering this story a little differently. As part of an initiative we call Uvalde 365, ABC News has had reporters essentially living there in Uvalde, Texas. They've been embedded for months, and we got two of these reporters with us this morning. ABC's Jenny Wagnon-Kortz and Ismael Estrada are in what have become their offices, essentially, their hotel rooms in Uvalde right now. And guys, just after however many weeks you've been there, can you first of all just help me understand what it has been like since this shooting?
3: I think that there's still um, a level of shock, honestly, in this, in this town. I think mm. we're, we're three months post-event, and they're still trying to find their way. Uh,
1: All right. So when tragedy, the aftermath of tragedy, you're left with questions and no answers. You are left with shock. And trying to find their way. I, I think this is important to remember, and, and this is going to become kind of a theme. You're gonna you're gonna see this emerge here in this uh, this audio. But when tragedy happens, and, and this is painful, but we have to you have to come to this understanding. Now you don't you you don't come to this understanding immediately, but you have to come to this understanding later. Or guess what? Here's what's going to happen. So you have tragedy. The aftermath of it is questions at, who, that will probably never be answered. You have to have a theology that works around it. I think biblically we have we have something to, to kind of talk about that with the book of Job. But in many cases after tragedy, you are left with shock. You are left with trying to find your way. You are left with with the 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 negative consequences that impact you. But here's what you have to realize. Now, you you can't realize it in the middle of tragedy. But at some point, you're going to have to realize this because here's what happens. When you're going through the shock and you're going through trying to find your way, at some point, you're going to look around and this is what you're going to feel like. This is what you're going to feel like. When I was in shock and when I was trying to find my way, everyone went out of their way to either avoid me or came in my way to give me accusations, questions, or supposed answers. Sometimes what you have to realize when you're in shock and trying to find your way, everyone tends to go on with their way. And that can be hard to deal with, but it's something we have to kind of realize, right? Like we we suffer the tragedy we're still in it like we're in it right because it's going to stay with us but for everyone else oh man that was horrible that was tragic but in some ways, they have to go on their way. They have to move on their way. And and, and they, they don't have to find their way. They already know their way. They're in their way. But now for you, it can be like a life-altering, what do I do? And I got to figure out my way. And everyone else is kind of like, well, you know, what's, I, I, they've got to move on. And you at times can feel like you're left alone and that you're by yourself. And that can create bitterness. Again, I will go back to the book of Job. I just may continue to reference it over and over. Look at, you. once again, here's a man who suffers great tragedy, right? He's, giving, he's given accusations and questions, he's not given any answers. But Job is also someone that, from a very human perspective, even somewhat of a spiritual perspective, but from a human perspective, he goes it alone. Friends are just accusatory and questioning. His wife tells him to curse God and die. A lot of times when tragedy, there's an element of it where you are going to have to walk it alone. Because it's your tragedy. There's always going to be an element. Now, you may be able to find a counselor. You may be able to find and you should seek out whatever you need. But there is an element of it where it's always going to be yours. And no one can ever truly help you find your way. I mean, maybe a counselor can. I'm not, I'm not, by no means would I ever, 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 ever tell someone not to pursue counseling. And obviously that you need to do that. But I'm seeing there's an element of it that, I mean, I'll just, my own tragic situation, everything that happened to me in my life, I I remember sitting there in counseling, but there was a part of it that it was, it it was, I was going to have to figure it out. I was going to have to figure out my way. The aftermath of tragedy is questions with no answers. And the aftermath of tragedy is shock and figuring out your way. where in a roundabout way. Everyone moves on in their way. They move on with their way. And you're still trying to figure out your way. All right, let's continue to listen.
2: That E-L-I-A-H-N-A, and everybody kept adding the extra A in there, and I'm like, oh, my God.
1: I think
3: most importantly, they don't want their children's names to be forgotten.
2: Liana was a loving, caring, nurturing little girl. Like, she was full of life.
3: They she... want their names to be front and center, and I think they realized that early on that they had to be their child's advocate.
1: I think that's interesting. So that... That some of them don't want their child's name to be forgotten. They want the spelling of the name to be remembered. They want everything about their child to be remembered. I think one of the... I think one of the difficult parts of the aftermath of tragedy is there's a part of you that always holds on to the tragedy. It it becomes a part of your identity. It becomes a part of who you are. And so sometimes you want it to be remembered. You want people to know it. But I think sometimes that can set you up for a very, very painful, painful, painful reality. Is no matter how much it's a part of you, no matter how much you may hold on to it, no matter how much you may want people to know about it, you care about it more than anyone else does. I know that sounds horrible. I know that sounds cruel, but I I, I just think when dealing with the aftermath of tragedy, you have to deal with certain realities of it, right? I mean, I can get in my car and I can drive to the Buffalo Gap Cemetery and walk up to my mother's headstone, walk, walk, walk over to her gravesite. No matter how much that's always, that tragedy is never going to go away from me. It, it's always going to be in me. It's always going to be a part of me. And I do talk about it because sometimes maybe I do want people to know. Maybe I do want some people to know that tragedy. Maybe that tragedy stamped itself so much on my life that I still have a tendency to talk about it, especially when I'm using illustrations because, well, it's the tragedy I know. It's the tragedy that never leaves me. So there's some part we wanted to remain alive, but sometimes we have to realize that most everyone else, they don't really care. And that's horrible, but you have to come to that realization Oh, they may say, "Oh, I'm so sorry, oh I, I, I wish that never would have happened to you, but five seconds after they've already moved on because but you can't expect it to be I think this is one of the aftermaths of tragedy is you come to the realization that it's never. Your tragedy is never going to be their tragedy. It's always going to be your. It becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of your identity, not anybody else's. It's not their tragedy. It's not their identity. And this can make you feel very alone and very isolated because nobody else gets it. Nobody else understands. See, with, with trauma... You, you go through these like the, the, all of these things are very much a part of it, right? You're left with questions and no answers. You're left with shock and trying to figure out your way when everyone else has already moved on with your way. And then you kind of realize that in some cases you try to cling to the tragedy. You're like this tragedy is right here. I, I want people to know it. I want people to remember it. And a lot of a lot of people who suffer tragedy, this becomes like their life's work they, they want they want you know to to do everything they can to to say that we're we're not never going to let anyone forget. We're never going to let anyone forget. I think after 9-11, wasn't that a common theme each year never forget never forget man people have forgotten and even if they remember the event it, it's it's nothing anymore it's 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 some just words and a history book. But for you, the individual, the tragedy is not words in a history book. It's real. And this can make you very isolated and make you feel very like, where, where is everyone else? You have to understand why. So so just as I walk through this, I'm hearing different elements of, of the aftermath of tragedy that, that we have to have a kind of a, a correct way of thinking about it. And you're like, Maybe you don't have any tragedy in your life yet, but just you may want to just write some of these things down and start thinking about it because I'm telling you tragedy's coming if it's not if it's not arrived at your doorstep, I'm telling you it's it's being delivered right now. I don't know how long the delivery is going to take to get to your house, but it's going to knock on the door and you're going to open the door and it's going to punch you in the face and you're going to be like, "Whoa, what is this And it's called tragedy. So you have to prepare yourself theologically and biblically to deal with it in advance. I wish I would have been taught how to deal with tragedy before it all happened because I found myself with questions and no answers. I found myself with shock trying to find my way and everybody had moved on. And I realized that, you know what, nobody else really cares. And no matter what I want to to remember of it, it, it doesn't matter. And I think some people want everyone to remember. I think some people would rather no one talk about it. I, th- I think there is always unique, different ways people handle it. But in this particular case, many of the parents don't want their children to be forgotten. I, I, I just I just have to let the, I, I just, I mean, I would never tell the parents this, but here's the reality. They are going to be, not by you, but all the people who, no matter how many memorials you put, no matter, no matter what you do, their names are just going to be, I mean, Give me the names of the children who died in Columbine. Name, give me the names of the kids who died in Sandy Hook. Give me the names of the people who were killed in the Pulse nightclub shooting. Give me the names of the people who were shot and killed in the horrible Las Vegas shooting.
2: Everybody knew her as the softball player because that's the picture that they used whenever we couldn't find her or anything. So I wanted to keep her alive like that, like that's who they knew her as. And
3: um, The murals, these beautiful murals are going up all over the city. And um, the families will come out and watch as, as their child's mural is being painted. And they'll start them usually the, in the evening and they'll take a projector and they'll project them onto the wall and kind of sketch out part of it. And the families will stand there in the dark, you know, just almost all night watching them start this process, and they're
1: that hit me hard. The families are standing in the dark, watching the aftermath of tragedy is You find yourself in the dark, watching everything else go by. But in this particular case, they're watching the the the, the, the you know image of their child being painted on a wall or wherever they're they're, they're creating uh, the the different forms of art but to try to keep the the memory of these kids alive but i'm telling you a picture on a wall doesn't really keep the memory of your child alive no matter how much you want it to no matter how much you long for it to it, it everyone else moves on it's always going to be inside of you i i can i can drive any i i live i live here in abilene texas and of course most of my, uh, now some of my childhood occurred here in Abilene, Texas, but let's just say if I start here in Abilene, Texas, like, okay, this won't mean anything to you, but just, just for the sake of, this is just a part of the aftermath of tragedy that you have to be prepared for. You have to be, or yes, you're left with questions and no answers. You're left, you're left, left with shock and trying to find out your own way. And, and you, you are left... In a in a world where you're trying to cling to it and, and make everyone remember, but everyone just forgets. But let me just explain this, all right? I, 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 in, my, in my memory as a child, there's certain places that I have vivid, 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 powerful memories. And then there's other places for some weird reason, I don't have as many memories there. So if I was... I lived on a street. What was the name of the first street? Popular Street. I think it was the name of Poplar. Poplar. I don't remember what it was called. I think that's where when I came home from the hospital, I think that's where I first went. I don't remember where the house was. Don't know. And of course, can't ask anyone because everyone is dead. Okay, but but I, I so I don't remember that one. But I remember Russell Street. That's the street I lived on when I went to kindergarten. That uh, I, I rode my ba- bike in kindergarten from uh, Russell Street to where Fair Park Elementary was, which is a pretty good distance. And I, re- I just remember everything about that neighborhood, riding my back bike around that. I just have these vivid, vivid, powerful memories uh, from that time, like just they will not go away. But I can drive over to Russell Street right now. Right. I I, I don't know. I don't even know if it's the maybe it's the same house. I don't know. Uh, But the whole neighborhood looks so drastically different than it was when I was a kid. someone, some some ways, that's a little saddening, right? I look at it, I'm like, man, I wish I could see it like it was when I was in kindergarten, right? It's a little saddening. I can drive past the school, uh, but the school's no longer a school. It's just everything about it, it's gone. But that's the way life works. But you know what? Nobody cares that my mom or dad lived in that house. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that I have vivid memories i ever went there they don't know who i am they don't know who my mom and dad was gone i can then i spent a good portion of my life buffalo gap tuscola texas no one there remembers my mom or dad nobody cares they came they went no matter what i could try to do to keep their memories alive nobody cared because they move on that that's the way it works so I think sometimes in the aftermath of tragedy we want it to be remembered. We want it. We want their lives to have meant something. But I think one of the very important things about dealing with the aftermath of tragedy is realizing that we're here, we're just gone. And, and the Bible kind of tells us that we're just like a vapor, we're just like a mist in the morning that's there, and then as soon as the sun comes out, it's gone. We're a vapor. It's gone. And that's that's even in tragedy, those we love. Now they live with us, right? I can drive past all of those places, right? And guess what? I can remember. Oh, there, there. I I can remember. Nobody else cares. I can walk into any of those same places. They don't. They don't remember my mom or dad. They don't. They don't remember anything. That's a painful part of the aftermath of tragedy that we have to have kind of a biblical theology. And the Bible seems to scream at us, you are here and you are gone. So all that really matters is the eternal, not the temporal, because the temporal was never designed to last anyway. It's all going to burn up. But man, when tragedy happens, we, it just, we want the tragedy to mean something. We want, we want the, 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 we want something to laugh. We want something to be remembered. But I think we have to look in a different perspective. Let's see what what else they have to say here. Crying, they're laughing.
2: Happy time because, you know, I'm going to be able to come and see her. And then it's like sad because look at all that, you know. Everything everybody's doing, it's like it's amazing, it's a blessing, but for the reason they're doing it, you know, like, because, you know, of our kids, you know, we no longer have them.
3: So that's been a really healing, it's an incredible healing process that we've been able to witness in this town.
1: And then there's that word. After every tragedy, we talk about the healing process. What does that mean? What is actual healing from tragedy? What does that actually look like? We could talk about that, but let's press on.
0: And Ismael, I mean, you basically got to Uvalde on the day of the shooting and essentially never left, right? What has it been like for you to watch this
4: play out? Yeah, it was was unlike any other shooting I've covered before. Unfortunately, we cover these shootings far too often. So something was very different about this town. At first, it was an immediate outcry because – there was um, a sense that they weren't getting the exact truth from the police, hmm. and in the days and weeks ahead, y- we started to see from the families a need for accountability.
2: You guys, don't care what about these families.
4: It's city council. It is uh, school board hearings.
2: You are not going to sweep this under the rug.
4: So they are calling for accountability, and at times they're calling out people by name saying, you know who I am, you know what I do, you know who these people are, and why are you so silent? It It's amazing um, when you see it, just how uh, how much tension there is in these meetings.
2: You messed up, and you don't have the audacity to say we messed up and Ariando's gone. Out of here.
3: And on the flip side of that, This is a heavy law enforcement community. DPS has been here. Border Patrol is here. County Sheriff are here. Uvalde Police. I mean, you can't go anywhere without seeing law enforcement in this town. uh, Everywhere. And, um, you know, I've been in the grocery store. Somebody walks up to a man and starts yelling at him in the grocery store saying, you know, you're a cop. You need to quit. Turn in your badge. You shouldn't be a part of this police department. And this is just you know this is a man that's going to go for groceries, and so we've been like in,
0: feelings are just that raw, even in unsuspecting a moment
3: feelings are absolutely raw
1: and
0: another aspect of the aftermath
1: of tragedy is anger anger that's me dropping my pencil, I apologize. But anger, you drop it at the most inopportune time. But isn't that how tragedy works in the most inopportune time? Is that that not how tragedy works, where you think maybe you've moved past it, you're dealing with some of the aspects we've already discussed, and then all of a sudden, boom, this anger, this bitterness, this rage rises up inside of you, and you don't even know where it came from. It just shows up out of nowhere. This is a part of the aftermath of tragedy that has to be discussed. Because again, while everyone else moves, you're You've got all the questions. You don't have any answers. You're dealing with shock and trying to figure out your own way where everybody's gone their own way. When, when these things happen, right, when when you're trying to, to try to make sure everyone remembers and you're holding on to it, everyone is, just seems to forget and they've moved on. And sometimes you look at all of this. I don't have any answers. And, 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 I'm, and I'm trying to find my way and everybody's gone their own way. And I'm trying to make sure that people remember and nobody seems to care. And next thing you know, you get angry and you get bitter. And that can be So destructive. It's understandable, but it's destructive. And the Bible does have much to say in regards to this subject about putting away bitterness, putting away wrath, putting away anger. It's easy to quote those verses, but man, it is so difficult. We want accountability. We want accountability. This is important to realize. It's not a pleasant thought. And I I will go back to the book of Job for this one. You know what? One of the things you have to kind of be prepared for in the aftermath of tragedy. One. Accountability may never occur. And two, even if it does, does it really, does it really help you move past the tragedy? Maybe it does. But I know this, in the book of Job, is there ever accountability for his tragedy? Job doesn't ever get any, he doesn't, he never finds out, well, God was doing this and he was using Satan and it was, he's never given any, So there's never any accountability in the mind of Job other than all of this suffering happened to me. And I don't know why. Sometimes in tragedy, you just got to be prepared. There won't be accountability, but you can't allow that to create anger and bitterness in you. But I think even if there is accountability, you can still be left with anger and bitterness because rarely does the accountability ever even come close to the pain and suffering you have felt. It doesn't alleviate it. It doesn't in many cases equal it. But I can understand the desire for it. But there there is anger. The emotions are raw there in you, Voldy, and I can understand why.
3: So I think that um, there's just a long way to go in the community.
0: As you're there on the ground, have you guys gotten a sense of it's just how families have been dealing with the grief when all the cameras aren't around?
4: I'm getting to know the Casares family very well. Uh, Javier and his wife, Gloria, uh, they have a daughter, Jasmine, who's going to be a senior in high school. They lost their, their daughter, Jackie, um, in the classroom. She was... Just I think two weeks away from her tenth birthday.
3: I have to keep being her voice. It's like I have to. We made her a promise and
1: and we promise. I promise that I will fight for her the rest of my life. Um and now they have I think one of the aftermaths of tragedy for some, the tragedy becomes their cause. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. For others, it does that don't not only is it not their cause, they don't even want anything associated with it. Which which right there is I think is very important and and, and and Christians need to know this because Christians tend tend to forget this, but for all of us tend to forget this. Whenever someone suffers a tragedy, don't place upon them what you think they should and shouldn't be doing and how they should be handling it and what emotion they're supposed to be saying and what they're supposed to be doing. There's nothing more that ticks me off about sometimes the Christian world is like, well, if they were, if they really felt bad, they would do this. Or you, you don't ever speak into someone else's tragedy with an expectation of what they should and shouldn't be doing. Now you want to help them handle it biblically, but within that biblical framework, there's, you got to let them work through it because everyone handles tragedy in a different way. But for some people, the tragic event, the, the tragic situation, becomes their cause. It becomes some so much a part of their identity that the rest of their life is dedicated to that, like trying to end it, whether it's gun violence or trying to end it, whether it's cancer. And 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 there's nothing wrong with that. But that that is a part of some people's. Um, That's
4: part of the aftermath of tragedy for some people. There's 21 of them who are becoming a family of their own. And um, what what I'm witnessing is that when they're together, they're able to let their guard down a little bit. They're able to enjoy each other because they've all been through something and they can actually feel like they can take a breath.
3: It is a comfort. It's a comfort knowing that I'm not the only one that feels the way I feel. It's a comfort knowing that I'm not the only one that is fighting for our children. I'm working closely with the Rindone family. Justin is the captain of the football team who's wearing the number 21 jersey this season.
4: Uh, It made it a little bit more special that, you know, he was selected to be number 21 to represent the lives that were lost on uh, May 24, 2022.
3: 21 is now a very special number in this community. You see it everywhere. You see it in storefronts. You see it on car bumper stickers, on you know sh- the sleeves of shirts. Like twenty-one is just—it's—it's it's a forever a sacred number here. Boom, action point! Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! You know, on Friday night, this past Friday night, we had the first home football game. Out at the twenty.
0: Out right here, Ash, you're up.
4: For the past three months, this whole city has been you're caught in um, anger, frustration, anxiety. They didn't know how to smile. All of that was kind of getting stripped away. And people were back to just normal life.
2: I want you to think about all we've been through. And I, I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about from a coaching change
1: to the pandemic to the tragedy. Everything we
3: did is pointing to right now. It was a sold out crowd of 5,000 people. This town hasn't seen that in years.
1: Just don't No. no this is my own personal, my own personal struggle. I, I I do get upset when tragedy is used. You know, okay, that all tra- all these tragedies have led us to this moment right here to play a football game. We've got to go win for the tragedy. I, I, that, that oh that dry oh that, that that cheapens it to me. That cheapens it to me. But I guess what you're seeing is people. People do lots of. They cling to a number. They cling to to so many different things. And and I'm not here to say what's right or wrong about that. I, I want us to think about trying to develop a theology of tragedy, uh, or a theology of the aftermath of tragedy. I really want to focus on the aftermath, not the tragedy itself, because there's all these things we have to work through, and I've already mentioned a bunch of them, and hopefully you're already thinking about this as well, but I want you to think about it like, what is the right biblical approach? A lot of this just, it's just maybe the things human beings turn to. I'm not here to condemn that, as long as it doesn't violate, obviously, something scriptural.
3: And there was a lot of excitement. There were some families that were planning on coming, and then they um, were having anxiety about it once Friday rolled around. It was just the, the the thought of you know interacting with big groups of people, especially when it's a a really celebratory moment.
0: Oh so some of the parents just decided not to go then just it felt too intense
4: yeah, I think um. You know, what we're seeing is a, a town moving on and the families are kind of, they're, they're, they're not able to.
1: Wow. That was the line that really just made me want to talk about this today is the families see a, a town, a city that's moving on and they're not able to. That's the one thing about tragedy as everyone else moves on, we've already kind of talked about this a little bit, right? We kind of talked about, like, you're you're in shock and trying to find your way. Everyone's moved on. You're trying to keep the memory alive. Everyone else has moved on. You've got questions, no answers. Nobody, everyone else has already forgot the questions, and they don't care about the answers. And you're like, well, what about me? I'll, I'll never forget. Now, many of you know, many of you know my story. My mother died. I wasn't living at home because of all the problems in my family. My mom died. I, I'm, in, I'm in high school. And um, uh, yeah, in November, I took a gun and tried to kill myself, wanted to die, ended up in a I, – I, my, my options were basically jail or a psychiatric hospital, went to a psychiatric hospital for eight weeks. And you get out of that psychiatric hospital. Now, in the psychiatric hospital, time stops. Time stands stills. Like whatever, t- whatever is happening outside of the walls of the hospital, you're, you're almost completely oblivious to. It's just like it's, it's such a surreal experience. But when I came out and you enter back into the world, you realize everybody else has moved on. And you've spent eight weeks trying to process the tragedy. You've spent eight weeks trying to process a lifetime of tragedy and abuse and all the horrible things and crazy things that happened in the hospital. With, you know, my my mom's sister, her daughter came to the to to the psychiatric hospital with a bag of pills, claiming my father killed my mother. I mean, it was just a crazy experience of everything that happened in in there. Just nuts, everything that happened. You get out. In some ways. You, you haven't moved on. You've spent eight weeks in intense discussion about it and everyone else has moved on. I walked back into school. Everyone's moved on. I mean, they've had eight weeks, man. They they Everyone else has forgotten about it. But everyone kind of looks at you like, what's your issue? And when everyone else moves on, you're kind of like, wait, no, you can't move on. My mother died. I tried to kill. Why is everyone moving on? But it's just the way it is.
4: That's just the way it is. It was a a very, you know, exciting game. Um, There was a lot of cheering. There was a lot of high-fiving and joy. And the families just aren't ready to experience that yet. They're not ready for the hugs. They're not ready for the pats on the back. They're not ready for the sympathy. Um, and it's very understandable because this town is moving forward, but they're kind of left behind.
0: Have these families been thinking about specifically the first day of school? Is that a thing that comes up that seems like, whether it's scary or whether it's inspiring, does that, has that loomed large as a moment here?
4: Yes, yeah. definitely. Um, with the Gossett family, Jasmine is going to school today. Right. Can you get back to home?
3: I don't think you ever really can. You can get close, but I don't think it ever, anything's ever going to go back to normal.
4: Um, she has been thrust into activism. She hasn't had her normal summer. And now suddenly she's faced with the reality of life getting back to somewhat normal. Um, and for Gloria, the m- mom, she's now having to deal with it. The, one of the big firsts that she talks about, uh, which is this will be the first time she's not sending Jackie to school.
3: It saw the first that we're having to do without her. The first day back to school pictures, those were one of her favorite traditions.
4: For Javier.
1: Now I'm going to stop right there. And I know you're like, I want to hear the end of that. Please look up the Start Here podcast, ABC News. You can fast forward to 10 minutes and 36 seconds. Or what I would really challenge you to do is listen to that whole report. It goes on for about another three minutes. Listen to it all in one sitting just to, just to kind of go back through your own thoughts about tragedy and the aftermath of tragedy, not just the tragedy itself. There's been so much discussion about the tragedy, But what happens, everyone moves on, right? The tragedy occurs and then the news cycle moves on, everyone moves on. So I really love the fact that they at least came back to this today to bring this up. But it made me think about what is our theology dealing with the aftermath of tragedy? Just ensure that you realize that every individual is going to handle tragedy different and they have to be given the grace and the mercy to work through it in their own way. Everyone's different. There's not a one size fits all. But I think there's some biblical concepts that we have to consider. And, 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 and in some cases, the biblical concepts sometimes are a little... Maybe they're not as comforting as we want them to be. Like the book of Job, it's comforting, but it's comfort—it's comforting in its lack of comfort. Hey, you suffered. You have friends who just simply accused you and asked questions. Then when God shows up, boom, he hits you with questions and you never get any answers. And you basically go through it alone. Wow, that's not comforting, but it is comforting. Because there's a lot of truth of that's exactly the way it works for us. But we, we, but within Christianity, we almost like forget Job. Like on one hand, we talk about Job, but we, we want to move past it and say, "Well, see, when you suffer this," and and we try to make it sound like that eh, that because you're a Christian, everything you have all of this that makes it so much better and wonderful and great. But I, I don't, I don't think it always works out. We sell, we sell the way Christians deal with tragedy in a way that I don't think always reflects the reality of it. But this morning, just think about tragedy and its aftermath and just ask yourself, do you think you have a really good grasp on the aftermath of tragedy and a good theology about it? There's there's like a million things I'm not saying, but in some ways I don't want to say because I kind of want to just leave it right there because you know I love to do that. So I'd love to get your thoughts and your feelings about tragedy and the aftermath of it. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Please look up the Start Here podcast. That is the episode from this morning. You'll want to listen to it uh, about the back to school in Uvalde. And then the next section of that episode deals with the war in Ukraine. And uh, you'll definitely want to hear a little bit about that. The whole episode is, I think, uh, maybe about... Maybe about uh, maybe about, about twenty five minutes. I think is is how long this morning. But the the part about Uvalde is about thirteen minutes, and you definitely want to hear the end of that, and because uh, I think there's some. I, I just yeah, listen to it all, and uh, let me know your thoughts. All right, thanks for listening. We'll be back later with more live broadcasting coming to you from Abilene, Texas, and the Theology Central Studios, where we try to make theology central to everything, including the aftermath of tragedy. God bless.